and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. And a very happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. In a segment from a sermon titled, The Enemy of Leading, Pastor Elliot preaches a warning against male passivity. And now, Pastor Robert Elliot. Dads, your kids and my kids don't need us to back off in indifference in this culture. Our kids don't need us to say, whatever you think, Junior, check with your mother. I'll deal with it when I'm not so busy. We'll talk about it later. Doesn't matter to me. What are the other kids doing? Work it out by yourself. Believe what you want to believe, just so long as you believe something. Gentlemen, that is passivity, and that is not leading. And most often, frankly, that is rooted in selfishness and not in service, love, and sacrifice. Jesus led by service, love, and sacrifice. And dads, your kids desperately need you to lead them with example, to lead them with love, with patience, with wisdom, and yes, to lead them with God-given authority. You don't have to wake up any day and say, do I have God's authority and okay to lead my wife and my children? The scriptures yell out, yes, you do. Because do you know what, guys? If we don't choose to lovingly, in a servant's heart, lead our wives and children, do you know what will happen to our children if we refuse to lead them? Hollywood will lead them. Their peers will lead them. Video games will lead them. MTV will lead them. Their mobile device apps will lead them if we won't. Rebellion will lead them. Their flesh will lead them. Their sin natures will lead them. I want to close this sermon with a lengthy conclusion that has one final train of thought, and it's this. Male passivity is a problem which is as old as the Garden of Eden. Go with me, please, to Genesis 3. I want to read the first six verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Here we see Satan came to Eve as a crafty serpent and he came with one express purpose to tempt her to sin. And Satan persisted and eventually persuaded Eve to eat of the only fruit which God prohibited in all of the vast and perfect garden called Eden. And shortly after Eve ate, we don't know exactly the time here, Adam ate too. 
Eve offered the fruit to her husband and he ate it. They both sinned. Scripture does not spell out for us whether or not Adam was present at the very moment that Eve decided to take the first bite. He may have been there and he was silent. Or he may not have been there. He was absent. But one thing we can be sure of, what we do know beyond the shadow of a doubt is that when Eve offered Adam the second bite, he took it. She led him. She initiated. And he responded. This was the very first instance of male passivity in Scripture. This was not leadership. And guys, absence and or silence is still not leadership. When we are absent in our families and marriages and silent in our families and our marriages, we are not leading. This is both true with respect to fathering and with respect to being a husband. And what did the first human father's passivity set up for all subsequent humans, including each of us? It set up sin. Disobedience to God, independence from God, physical, spiritual, and everlasting death, domestic violence. Scripture tells us that their son Cain murdered their son Abel. Right out of the gate, a passive dad saw a son run seriously amok and another son buried. Now I know what I think some of you are thinking, possibly. Pastor Rob, you are very strongly saying that God's will is for husbands to lead wives, for fathers to lead children. How do we know if Eve was to lead Adam? How do we know if my wife's to lead in our family? She's better at it. How do we not know that my wife's to parent our children because she's good? Well, I'm glad you're thinking about that. Let's let Scripture answer that objection. Adam and Eve were given to each other for oneness. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Oneness is God's will for all of us who are married. Oneness. That means that Satan's will for every one of us who are married is aloneness. Aloneness. And it's not just a divorce that gives you aloneness. There are married people who are alone in their marriages, and they live under the same roof. So togetherness... Oneness is what God willed for Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve's togetherness is seen in that after they even sinned, they sewed fig leaves together. And they tried to hide from God together. That's funny, trying to hide from God. But Jonah tried it too, right? Maybe we have. And they heard their respective punishments for sinning from God. They were together. But will you notice something very, very key from verse 9? Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God called Adam to account after they sinned. God didn't call Eve to account first. God called Adam to account. This tells us and shows us that God's design is for the man to lead the woman, for the husband to lead the wife and children, for the father to lead the children. God called Adam to account, not Eve. In God's plan, Adam was to lead his wife and to lead his children. And how did Adam handle that responsibility? Lousy. He didn't do well. 
He went passive again. He blamed his wife for their sin. He said in Genesis 3.12, Lord, the woman you gave me. He wouldn't man up to say, yeah, I ate. I was either absent or silent when she ate first. It's on me. No, Lord, the woman you gave me. Were it not for here, we wouldn't be in trouble. That's not leadership. Did God buy Adam's excuse that it was just the woman that God had given him? Not at all. Look at verse 17. Then to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. God didn't buy the excuse because God had as his will that Adam would lead, and after Adam and Eve fell, God still had as his will in a sin-cursed and fallen world that the man would lead, the children and the wife. And Adam's passivity started a riverbed of male passivity that was small at first. But now, these thousands of years later, men, we stand up to our waists in the raging whitewater of male passivity as a river. And most of us are content to stand there in this swelling, rushing river that, by the way, the world thinks is great. This world loves impotent men, leaderless men. Satan loves that. Now you say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm in this whitewater river of passivity? Well, let me get personal. When I urged you to take sermon notes, when you knew you weren't going to buy the CD, did you start or did you ask your wife to do it? When was the last time you led your wife to scripture reading and prayer? When was the last time you led your children still at home and your wife to scripture and reading and prayer? And who does more correcting of the children, you or your wife? And if you have ever asked for marriage counseling from anybody, who asked for it, you or your wife? And if you've ever asked for benevolence fund help, and that fund is available to help people in Jesus' name, if you've ever asked for that help, who asked for it, you or your wife? And on a typical Sunday, who makes the decision about whether you or not you stay for a Sunday school class? And if you and your wife are both saved in a part of this church and only one of you is involved in a ministry, is it your wife or is it you? Yes, I think the majority of us are standing in the whitewater river of male passivity up to our armpits. And this current male passivity of the majority of men is both inside the church but outside the church. Men, we tend to pick passivity over leadership because it's easier. Long ago, most of us, I'm afraid, have quit on being proactive, quit on being involved, and quit on being directive. I think most of us have quit. We've retreated. We've gone silent. And our kids and our wives are damaged and frustrated by our passivity. How do I know that? Because they come and they tell me. The resentment that they have to step in and lead the family when they don't want to, but nobody else will. They tell me. The first father, Adam's historic passivity and unwillingness to lead his wife even, the kids had very, very, very serious fallout. Abel got a grave and the whole world got a flood. And today, men, our passivity and our unwillingness to lead our wives and our kids still has very serious fallout. 
Did you know that 40 out of the 54 of the world's greatest philosophers believed in God? But of the 14 who didn't believe in God, eight were preachers' sons. And of those 14 who didn't believe in God, all 14 hated their fathers. Do you know the two things which Hitler, Stalin, Marx, and Lenin have in common? Number one, they all failed in school. And number two, they all chose to get replacement dads because their own dads were absent or poor leaders for them. Do you realize that in the world's prisons worldwide this morning, that 95% of the male inmates hate their fathers? In 1984, that's a while ago, A 1984 study found that, on average, a Christian American father spent two minutes per day talking with his children. The same study showed that those same average American dads spent two minutes per day reading their Bibles. And do you know what I think? In the 30 ensuing years from 1984, two minutes is too much. I think it's less than two minutes that American Christian dads talk to their sons or daughters a day, and maybe less than a minute than American dads read God's Word. Today's Help for the Hearing segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. The center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, the Executive Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. I would like to thank uh, each of you for allowing us in your homes again this morning. Again, in the uh, studio with me is Deborah Arnett. She was sharing about how we should bring up our children. I'd like you to continue from where you left off. So last week, the question that you asked me was, what are the two gifts um, that parents can entrust to their children that would have a profound impact on their life? Right, yes. And last week, I quickly addressed the issue of understanding who your child is and addressing the issue of identity being intentional and knowing your child and their purpose and what God has created them for. And that requires prayer and seeking his face, um, but also attending to the things that you observe in them, um, their propensities to engage in certain activities that are productive and constructive and skills that they have. So if they're a writer, you know, giving them those pieces of paper so they can write their little stories when they're five and six and seven and as they age. Um, But another area that I think is so important and very potent when we consider what's going on in our culture today is fostering an understanding of your child's value. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I've observed in my work and um, in the research is that fatherlessness erodes our sense of value. If our fathers are not present, we don't know this person. And therefore, there's a part of us we don't quite know and understand. Um, Even if he is physically present but emotionally absent and there isn't a lot of opportunity to connect with him and bond with him and know who he is as a person know his deeper essence passions what drives him 
it takes away from our understanding of who we are yeah. as individuals. Right. Yes. Um, and I've observed in individuals that I've interacted with who may appear very adaptive and healthy, but who have a history of fatherlessness, that they tend to leave lifestyles where they're constantly striving, um, constantly trying to prove their value through the accumulation of material things, through their physical um, activities and accomplishments, and by acquiring the glory of men. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned, fatherlessness does erode from a sense of an individual's value. Um, it's also important to know that if someone does not know his value, um, he cannot identify or honor the value of another person. Okay. And so when you look at our, our country, there is often this question that comes up about crime and murder. And people will say, well, how could they do that? How could they treat this person this way? How could they slaughter that individual that way? And I really believe the root cause of it is that a number of individuals within our community and our country don't know their value. Okay. Um, and they try to develop a sense of value by what they possess, by what they accomplish, by what they do, but they really don't feel valued and they don't feel valuable. Um, and they're struggling with a sense of feeling valuable so they cannot appreciate your value okay. and treat you with the respect and the honor that will result in the preservation of your life when they have a conflict with you or that will result in them being respectful to you when they're frustrated with you. It is far easier for an individual to take another's life when they don't know their value, and it's far easier for an individual to disrespect or mistreat a person when they don't know their value. Mm -hmm. That is why it is important for a parent to interact with their child in a way that confirms and affirms the child's value, um, and they are careful with the words that they speak over their children. Um, it is also important that parents engage in active listening when they're interacting with their children. Um, they're listening beyond their child's words to their child's passions and interests that they may be having a difficulty expressing to mom and dad. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I found very important to relate to parents is that as you're interacting with your kids, one of the ways to show them that they're valuable um, and to demonstrate active listening is to engage their questions, not blow them off and be like, I don't have time for that question. Please leave me alone. That's a stupid question. Um, but to answer their questions. If they approach you and say, mom, do you think I'm pretty? answer the question. If they approach you and they say, Dad, do you think I'm strong? Answer the question. Mm -hmm. It is easier to answer a question, it's so much easier to answer a question than to debate with a child about a statement. Mm -hmm. When they get to that place where they say, I'm not pretty, I'm not strong, I am stupid, that is much more difficult um, an issue for a parent to navigate trying to convince them their children of a, a truth right. than when their child has a question. And all of this is tied up into understanding a child's value and promoting a child's value. Okay. Thank you very much, Deborah. And we hope that as we listen to this information that we're receiving, that it will help us in being better parents. Thank you again, Deborah. And now, today's personal God story. Good morning. My name is Thaddeus Pears. I grew up in a Christian home where my parents were missionaries in the inner city of Jacksonville, Florida, where I was born. One could say I was exposed to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his saving work from birth. My parents always paid very close attention that I and my siblings knew for ourselves the love of God showed through his son, Jesus, never forcing it on us, but being sure that we knew that is what they believed and hoped we would believe it too. 
When my parents moved back to the Bahamas, I was five years old, and it was in that year my mom asked my sister to read me this book called The Greatest Story Ever Told. The book simply and clearly explained how God made the world perfect and made Adam and Eve the first two perfect human beings. Then it explained how Adam and Eve were tempted by sin and fell, thus causing sin to enter the world and us. And it clearly explained that only through a perfect sacrifice can man be saved from the ultimate death of sin. It explained that the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus Christ, God's Son, who lived a sinless life and died for my sins and rose again to give us a new hope of a life in Him. After I heard that and understood it, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. As I got older, I knew that I had been saved from sin and was a Christian, but at the time, I didn't realize that meant living differently. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was delinquent or have some extreme stories about all the bad things I did. I was a good kid, for lack of a better word. I knew the Bible said that I must obey my parents and just do whatever the Bible said. At the time, that is what I thought it meant to be a Christian, and so that's what I tried to do. It was not until I was 12 when I attended the Christian Youth Sports Camp, Camp Bahamas, that even though I was a Christian, I wasn't really living for Christ. I viewed it as something you, one, do to stay out of hell, or two, to be a good person. During that time at camp, I realized that Christianity was truly about giving my life to God and not just doing what He says. It was about having a relationship and giving your life to be used by God and to do His work. It was there when I rededicated my life to God. My whole view on life changed after that. God began to give me an overwhelming passion to do any kind of ministry I can for His glory. And He gave me a passion for studying His Word so I can know Him more and in turn tell others more about Him. My life had meaning and purpose for the first time. It was not just about going through life making the right decisions, but it was about living a life through God and fulfilling the mission He has for all of His children. So to anyone who is struggling with a reason for life, or someone who is just anxious about the future, whether it may be what college you want to go to, or if you can make the bills at the end of the month, I encourage you wholeheartedly to put that trust in Jesus Christ and you will experience the peace and love that only He can give. A love and peace that gives you true purpose and passion. And that's my story. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. I have a question here based on Matthew chapter 3. 
verse 7. This is what we read in Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he, that is John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And the question is simply, who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The Pharisees and the Sadducees were two Jewish groups who were active in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees took matters of Jewish ceremony quite strictly and separated themselves from those who were not so diligent. Josephus, a Jewish historian, describes them as a body of Jews with the reputation of excelling the rest of their nation in the observances of religion and as exact exponents of the laws. This Jewish historian, Josephus, wrote further, it refers to them as the leading sect, S-E-C-T, the leading sect, and regards them as the most accurate interpreters of the law. In terms of doctrine, they believed in the sovereignty of God, that is, that God is in full control. They believed in the eternal nature of the soul, and they believed in bodily resurrection. While the Pharisees were middle-class Jews who were associated with the synagogue, the Sadducees, as a group, were of the priestly aristocracy and were associated with the temple. Sadducees were the leaders with the power, money, and the influence in the time of Jesus. That Jewish historian Josephus records that while the Pharisees are affectionate to each other and cultivate harmonious relations with the community, the Sadducees, on the contrary, are rather boorish, that means they have bad manners, in their behavior and in their conversation with their peers and are as rude as to aliens. Wow. The Sadducees believed in human freedom to choose good or evil and did not believe in the persistence of the soul after death or in bodily resurrection. See Matthew 22, verse 23. The Sadducees held these views not because they were liberal, but because they were quite conservative and accepted only those doctrines that they believed were taught by Moses in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. Just as a little of humor, one way to remember the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That is why they were sad, you see. Ha. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.